0: Welcome to the All About Alts podcast, where we explore the world of alternative investing to help you find financial independence. Join our host, NewView Trust's president, Jason DeBono, as he covers a variety of topics with different guest speakers to discuss tax and alternative investing strategies. It is never too late to start taking control of your financial future, and we are so excited for you to be joining us for this opportunity to hear from some of the best in the business. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the All About Alts podcast. I am your host, Jason DeBono, and I am joined by Socket Jane from Migrate to Wealth. Socket, how are you?
1: I'm good, buddy. Thank you again for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. What better way to spend my Friday than talking to you about alternative investments? It's perfect
0: we're happy to have you and we're going to talk about, you know, Socket's background and really a cool cool story but Socket's you know, one of those guests that you're fortunate to get on the show that has just a breadth of experience and so I won't say he's been there done that to everything but for a lot of things and going through his bio, he certainly has been there done that, number 1 best-selling author, you know, manages over 2000 units, 200 million dollars in assets, an MBA from Columbia, an educator, a philanthropist, so it's almost you know took us a little bit of time to figure out when I was setting everything up for the podcast. How do we squeeze all of this into our time today? But we're going to do our best. So, Socket, let's dive right into one thing I haven't mentioned that I think is super cool, and that is your background working at Airbnb.
1: Yeah, so I was interesting background story, which actually changed the trajectory of my life. I'll say that, and then we're going to do an Airbnb. So, I started my life, my professional career as a management consultant, which essentially means for people who don't know what that means is we would help people buy and sell companies. So essentially, when we will buy a broken company, we'll help our clients fix them, and then we'll sell them, right? I've done that for a living for probably about 15 odd years off and on. And in between, I started my own company and sold it. But back in 2017-ish timeframe, while I loved doing all of that stuff, I got laid off, right? And that really changed the trajectory of my entire life. And the reason why I changed it because it shook me to the core of what exactly is the, there's nothing called as job security, especially in the US. And I grew up in India, if my accent and my name didn't give away. And that just shook me to the core. I'm like, why is it happening to me? I went to one of the best schools in India. Uh, the acceptance rate is 0.2%. So I'm So like, okay, I think I'm smart. Or at least I thought I was smart. I work for all Fortune 500 companies. So I'm like, you know, okay, they have a filter test. So maybe I'm smart. And then everything that I went to Columbia for my MBA, so I'm like, okay, they probably have a good filter credit. So all the external markers were telling me I'm doing everything correct in my life. And all of a sudden, boom, 10 people in a boardroom decided that we're going to wipe out the entire division of a company. And I was impacted for no fault of mine. That was really the time where I started thinking about, okay, you know, I need to take better control of my financial future. And what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? And I've always been a real estate investor. But I wanted to do it more intentional. I wanted to make sure that next position that I'm going to take is going to position myself because I wasn't ready to do to be a full-time investor because I didn't know enough at that time. Well, I thought I didn't know enough. And I'm like, you know what? I need to make it, again, put a consultant hat. What are the five, or th- three or five levers I need to pull to make sure I become a better investor? So I'm like, okay, you need. I need to surround myself with the right people. So I need to build a better ecosystem. I need to be in a place where I learn how to run some things that are real estate related. And then I want to make sure that I have the financial savviness enough to make sure I can manage my own portfolio instead of giving it away. That's really what led me to join Airbnb. And I was fortunate to be accepted in their, uh, as running their business operations, which was great for me because I was now seeing what makes an Airbnb successful. And I worked in different divisions within Airbnb. Again, all of that was intentional. Because I started we acquired a company, and I, I still say we because I've, it's only been nine months since I left them. I started a division which was luxury homes, which we were renting homes, which was twenty thousand dollars a night, which is in your definition in our definitions, Class A, which is the top of the top, not everyone can afford it. but I started there and we were trying to integrate the companies together, and then I moved into Airbnb for work, which was essentially how to corporate treats airbnbs can we build can we build a business around corporate housing like basically google's of the world and everyone else and helping them do that and then the third was really the bread and butter for airbnb which is the marketplace which everyone knows airbnb.com when you go there you find a place and we just kind of figured out what's the market dynamics of doing that and it helped me immensely to get a perspective of not just from the platform but also where the demands are going where the supply is going and where the gap is, and where do players play, who are very, very successful? So it gave me an inside view. I had access to a lot of information, which I'm not privy to share with anybody. That's what led me to leave Airbnb, because they wouldn't let me start an Airbnb fund. Like I'm, I want to start in my own fund where I would raise capital and buy Airbnbs for and then run it for people, right? And there was a lot of conflict there because I had access to a lot of information. So December second is when I quit. And then uh, January 5th, I launched my own fund with a partner of mine. I actually joined a fund, which was already in the making, to help them grow that. And now we're vertically integrated. So The journey from Airbnb to becoming a fully professional host, or a fully professional investor, has been an exciting one. Learned a ton there. If you ever had a chance to work at a company like Airbnb, I still have very fond memories. I'll never go back. But that's not because I don't like the company. It's because it served its purpose in my life.
0: Well, that's such a cool, you know, story. I mean, Airbnb is, you know, such a well-known brand, but you hit on something, you know, that even for someone like myself, you know, I never really thought of. And that is, you know, even Airbnb, which we think of as an asset class, right? Vacation rental, Mm -hmm. there's asset classes inside of asset classes, inside of asset classes. Correct. Um, Correct. And so, you know, it's such a kind of a cool thing for you to be able to see you know, these different markets. And I think, you know, we tend to think of vacation rentals, you know, as being down the middle, but you've got this whole corporate market and you've got workplace housing, you've got, you know, traveling nurses and, you know, all of these different people that are using these as tools. So that certainly probably proved to be just absolutely invaluable in your journey as you moved in. And so now you've got, you've left Airbnb, you're at this point unemployed in some ways, but you're now self-employed, Right. Um, yeah. what was that decision like you know you mentioned already kind of the conflict of interest but putting that aside that's a big leap of faith right i mean a lot of our listeners they're all somewhere in that journey yeah. right their yeah. goal is you know to build more passive income to replace their active income so they can right. make that switch so you know what was that like for you you know what went into the decision making process mm-hmm. and how did you kind of mentally reconcile this concept of Give up a paycheck over here to go figure out how to make money over here.
1: I can't say it was an easy decision, Jason. That's an interesting question. It's a very it was an intense question for me. And the reason I'll again, well, you'll probably see a pattern. I'll go back and then come forward. During COVID, COVID was pretty rough, like every like for everyone else. And all of us have lost somebody in our family or friends. We know somebody who's lost somebody. Like for me, it was my mom. I've lost about five members of my family back home in India. And two of them were my mom and my sister. My sister was two years older than me. And all of this time, I'm trying to figure out to take back control for my financial future. But I was looking at it wrong. I was trying to figure out, I didn't connect the dots. And sometimes, even though you hear somebody, you don't connect the dots, but unless it, until it happened to you. So when it happened to me, it was more around, if it could happen to my sister, who was two years older than me, so she's pretty young, uh, relatively young, it could happen to me. So I don't know how much time I have in my, on this planet Earth. Hopefully, I have a lot longer than I imagine, But I don't know. I could be gone tomorrow. So then I started thinking about, okay, if, if that happens to me, I've only been focusing on financial health because of 2017 event where I got laid off. I will never let that happen again. But what about my time? What about my memories of my kids? What about everything else that matters? And that's really what, where we conceptualize my to wealth. Migrate to Wealth, until then, and this brand is still alive, it was Impact Wealth Builders that I was still running in parallel to my job at Airbnb, but the Migrate to Wealth was defined really to figure out what wealth is, right? And wealth is five dimensions to us. It's your mind, your body, your relationships, your money, which is very important. I'm not the one to say don't make money, make money. But the last component is impact, which is contribution. You make money to get a level three things sorted out: your mind, your body, your relationship. But big, much bigger is you need to create an impact. So when my why became clear, Jason, until then I don't think I was. I would have ever quit Airbnb or anything else. I would have probably jumped from Airbnb to something else because my path was very clear. That I'll keep investing as a professional investor on the side, but I don't need to quit Airbnb. I could manage both. I'd figured out a way to manage both. But when that why became very clear, the urgency. To spend time with the family went way up, right? So what was very hard decision? Make a made a very simple choice on October second, saying uh, December second that you know what, there's never going to be a job that allow me to create memories of my family. There's never this. It's impossible because the demands they're hiring you for a reason, and you can't tell them that, hey, I'm going to take a 30-day vacation and I don't want, I don't want to take my computer with me. And there may be a few organizations, but I would say 98% of the world isn't, doesn't work like that. And I really, my kids were at five and seven at that time. So I'm like, you know what, I need to change that. And when I did that, that decision became very clear when my why became clear to me. Until then, I was just chasing money. And when I was chasing money, there was never going to be enough money in the world that would have satisfied my hunger for money. Right? And I have no shame in accepting that. But now that has changed. Now we have overlaid a bigger challenge for us. What's the reason for our existence? Of course, our kids and my wife, but also more about we are trying to sponsor kids' education in India, K-12, people who can't afford it. And we want to sponsor 100,000 kids by 2030. So now there's a whole big rigor that I can't do that while I'm at Airbnb or any other firm. I need to create a whole platform that makes sure that we do we sponsor these kids in a sustainable manner. So Jason, in a round way, a very short answer to your question is the why became clear, and that made the decision very easy. Until then, I was struggling with the decision. I'm like, no, I don't want to quit. I can still do both. I can still do both. And that, I was dragging my feet.
0: Well, you know, I love digging into kind of the why, and you really nailed, you know, I think for a lot of people they don't tend to stop and think about and that is what is the why. You know, wealth is a lot more than just money and I think we all, you know, we're raised in a, you know, a very marketing centric society and world where, you know, shiny objects are dangled and flashed in front of us all the time and if you look right. at the the way the world moves with social media, I mean there's always the next thing we're looking at. And, you know, if, if you made 50 grand, your goal is to get to a hundred. And when you make a hundred, it's to get to two. And when you get to two, it's to get to three. And, you know, as you go, you know, you would have dreamed when you were making 50 grand to make 300 grand as would be, you would be the greatest thing ever. And you get to 300 grand, you're looking around and that doesn't excite you anymore. Now you got to make 500 and, you know, you're chasing this idea of income. And I'm sorry to hear about, you know, the loss of family during COVID. It was just an absolute nightmare for so many in terms of just the way that it impacted the world. But if there's a silver lining that we can look back and say COVID did for us, COVID created an environment where people started to put a value on all the other things. You know, they realized when they were working from home that they saw their kids come home from school, you know, or they saw activities or they were able to, you know, go outside and do things. And they realized that, you know, when you're working you know, every day, all day, and you're getting home, you're tired, you're fatigued. It, it has, it's changed the way that people think, myself included. And so I, you know, I love stories about kind of the good that comes out of the bad. And, you know, here's someone, you know, socket that was laid off, you know, got back into the game at Airbnb, which people would go, wow, you know, it may have been a blessing in disguise. And then here you are some years later, walking away from that to go and chase a bigger dream and a bigger goal. So good for you for taking those yeah. leaps of well, faith. Thank you. That's a big and decision. Just, I do want to add
1: one point, right? I think the other point, which is very, very important for everyone's journey, if they're at that juncture point, it's important to silence the noise around you. And to your point, what you're saying is people would die to work at an Airbnb. And I know my feeling when I got hired there. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. It's a dream come true. If I asked anybody before I made my decision, everyone would have said I'm crazy. Right? It's just no brainer, including my wife. They're like, what are you doing? Are you insane? People would literally kill somebody to go work at a company like Airbnb. I'm like, that is true. But once my decision was clear, at that point, didn't, what didn't matter what somebody else said. So that's fine. You can listen to people. You can respectfully listen to people's opinion. But you have to make your own decision. But if you let that noise clutter your brain power and just say that, you know what, maybe I'm wrong. And once that doubt comes, you're done. Because you'll never be able to get past that doubt. So what I would say is that before you share your perspective that you're trying to do that, do some soul-searching, figure out your why, get their 98 to 99%. And then only ask people who have a qualified opinion, right? If I asked my siblings at that time, I don't have my parents by then, or I asked my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, they would not have supported that decision. For the right reasons, because they're not thinking the way I'm thinking. But I'm like, you know what, I need to make a decision first and then go share their perspective just so that they feel included. But I've already made up my mind. So that is, I would say, is that if you ask people, what should I do? You're not going to get an answer that you should be getting because they may not be qualified.
0: Yeah, great advice. Absolutely great advice. You know, it's important that you have good people, you know, around you that are both yes people and no people. You know, you need people Correct. to to tell you you're crazy because sometimes they're right and you need that validation. Yeah. And sometimes they tell you you're crazy, but it only validates the idea more, not because you don't value right. their opinion, but because they may not see the world the same way you do. So, you know, your circle of influence, your sphere of influence, you know, I know you're big on mentorship and building communities, and I think that's so critical because without it you're going to be around only a certain number of people in your life whether it's by you know right. accident right that's family it's not really by design you didn't have a lot of control into the family you're born into or it, it is by design and it needs to be a good healthy combination of both so you know I always love hearing people's stories and love kind of your background and we're going to talk here in just a minute about kind of that Airbnb portfolio we're going to talk about multifamily we yeah. talk about asset classes cuz I've gotten to know you and understand the value that you can help our listeners kind of gather is maybe they're making that journey but before we dig into the kind of investment side and the strategy side we're going to take a quick shift gears here We're going to kick it over to our quirky questions of the day. Let's do it. You're about to get on the hot seat. These are listeners submitted. So we appreciate those of you that take the time to send these to us. If you do want to submit any quirky questions, please do so to our show producer, who is Maggie here at the company. So it's Maggie with a Y at newviewtrust.com with a U. So, all right, I'm going to go in with the last envelope here. You ready to go? Let's do
1: it, buddy. Yeah.
0: Starting off with a bang. Here we go. If you could switch lives with an animal for a day, which animal would you choose?
1: I would choose a dog. And here's why. So I never grew up with a dog. I got bit by a dog in India when I was like eight. And I've since been scared of dogs. Because back then, I had to get like 14 injections in my stomach. And I can't remember why they did that. But I don't know what they do now. Because it was a street dog. But... Over time, I've learned to appreciate the love that a dog has. And what I realize in humans right now, love's missing. Unfortunately, the compassion and the love component has gone down and the individualism has come up. So what I really like, I would love to be a dog to actually experience that feeling of love, of giving love, of what it feels like that.
0: I love it. All right. Question number two, pick your poison, sunrises or sunsets?
1: Sun rises, because when sun rises, it basically means it's a new beginning.
0: I like that. It's the start of the day. The early bird gets the worm. Question number three, if you could meet any historical figure, who would it be and why?
1: So the same reason I want to be a dog, I want to actually go back to being, if I could meet, it's going to be Mother Teresa? Because again, the compassion and love that she showed, I really want to experience it and see how people felt. I mean, there's one thing about reading in the books. But wanting to be there and have the chills up your spine to kind of see what impact she was making. All
0: right. Well, I love that. Mother Teresa, it is. So thank you, Mr. Socket. You are officially off the quirky questions of the day.
1: How All right, great. man. Those yeah. are hard questions.
0: Yeah, you survived okay. I think you survived okay today. So thank you guys for continuing to submit questions. Uh, always one of my favorite parts of the show. So you know, the other, uh, you know, benefit of wrapping up the quirky questions, we now get to shift gears to, you know, the strategy side. And and this is the part I always love. I think a lot of times, you know, we talk about building wealth and we talk about tax efficiency and alternative assets and all of that is good and great. But, you know, we really try to to kind of do a few things on the show. I mean, we're fortunate to get the guests that we do and we always want to understand how do people get to where they are? You know, not what do they do today, but I also love to dig in and really kind of touch through, you got so much experience, right? You've got a background of investing. You've got a background of working in business strategy, which is certainly helpful in the investment world. You've got a background of the underpinnings and inner workings of Airbnb, which absolutely, you know, is certainly a benefit. So let's turn that and kind of talk about current world real life strategy and how you're deploying it. Let's start with Airbnb. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. commercial assets and multifamily, but let's talk about Airbnb. So you mentioned conflict of interest. You wanted to be on the investment side of Airbnb and, and manage and run a fund. Airbnb says no. You said thank you, but no thank you. So here we are, you've partnered off with a, an Airbnb fund. Talk to our listeners that may not be <coughs> as well-versed. What's an Airbnb fund? How's it work? And then let's Definitely. talk about the mechanics and and the strategy that's deployed and, and maybe go back to what you learned through that process at Airbnb yeah. that's helped you out in from a fund management side.
1: Definitely. So I think fund is to oversimplify it and I'm oversimplifying it. And I have the big caveat because it's a lot more complex than what I'm going to say. A fund, when you look at from a five-year-old's eye, is a pool of investors that pool their money to buy something that they believe has value. But that's really a fund. Now, it could be, it has taken a lot. That's why I'm saying the complexities are pretty big. So we're not going to go deeper into the complexity of what a fund really is, but it's really pooling the money to go buy an asset that you believe is investment worthy, and then you have a thesis around it, and then you execute upon it. And there are two roles that there are fund managers and then there are investors. Fund managers play an active role in making sure they are the good stewards of the money and they have the capability and the time and the willingness to make sure they can run that asset, which is when they run the asset is, in our case, when we were buying broken companies as a management consultant, we were the operator along with our client that we were helping them make sure they can fix the company. So when you're buying an investment asset, you're basically finding there's an opportunity that you believe there is to make a difference. So when we're buying Airbnbs, we are specifically niching down on a very, very subsector. As you said, Jason, Airbnb, when you look at Airbnb, now Airbnb is a brand, but it's also a verb, right? So Airbnb is bigger than Airbnb. So when we say Airbnb fund, it's short-term rental fund. So anything that has below 30 days of average daily stays, average nightly stays. So what we're saying is now is, hey, you know what? We're going to collect, we're going to ask, hey, Jason, this is our thesis, which essentially means this is what we believe is going to happen through our own analysis. Jason, we have an opportunity where you invest along with us. We're going to buy a property somewhere and we can define that depending upon what the fund is. And we're going to do X, Y, and Z on that property to add more value into it. And that's going to increase the amount of money we can make from that. So what we're doing is we're buying long-term rentals, which are more than 30-day rentals, which are your traditional six-month, 12-month leases. And then we're adding value to it, which essentially means we're making sure we're bringing up the standards for somebody who wants to do Airbnbs because the standard of a short-term rental is very different than a long-term rental. And we have to furnish it, we have to decorate it, and there's reasons for all of that stuff. And then because of that, the delta that we have with short-term rental, which is less than 30 days versus a long-term rental, the delta is where we make this. The spread is where we make our money. So if you're getting a $2,000 per month and making these numbers up, we have a potential of making $5,000 now, right? So the spread is $3,000. Yes, there's some extra work needs to be done up front because we need to make sure that we can add value. But eventually what we're saying is now we're having a $3,000 extra cash flow given in this example. And that's really where we're adding value. That's really how we're increasing the the, the value of the asset itself. And then in our specific one, we're never selling off an asset. So investor stays with us. In about five years, we refinance the property and we take the money out of the property because we've added so much value in it. And then we return the money back to the investors. Then investors stay with us till the end. Until the end is infinity, really. Because our intention is not to sell that asset because I really believe that Airbnbs are not going away. There's going to be always ups and downs. And then Airbnb's is just here to stay. So if they're here to stay and the, and the spread is big between long-term and short-term, even after the vacancy, because short-terms usually have, have a higher vacancy rate, even after the vacancy, we're still making a lot more money than we would have made a short-term as a long-term rental. So why not? And then let's hold on to it. And then eventually you can pass it on, our investors can pass it on to their ears, but right? kind of like make that as a generational wealth strategy rather than just a cash flow strategy for them.
0: Well, you know, it, Airbnb is such a cool model. It is kind of like a Kleenex. There's different brands, but everyone still Correct. reverts back to Airbnb. It is, it's a verb, it's a noun, it's a brand, It's. it's all of the above. Airbnbs are amazing, you know, because if you look at it from an asset class, it really looks starts to look a lot more like commercial real estate, even though it's not. Mm-hmm. But it's business oriented. You know, we think about rental properties for long term, you know, traditional residential properties, and there's not a lot of moving parts to them, right? Yeah, sure, it does matter that there's a decent kitchen and the bathrooms are updated. But you know there's only so much in an airbnb it just it continues to amaze me as I see operators and properties and you know it really is like a hotel and you know if you think it about is. It is. you can go stay at a red roof inn and you can you know and and pay the lowest price for a motel 6 and just get a bed and a you know a toilet and a sink or you can go stay at a ritz carlton or you can go stay at a resort that's got mm-hmm. you know bells and whistles or you can go stay at a kid friendly resort you're kind of seeing right. airbnb is really you know I shouldn't say airbnb the hosts of airbnb you know have modeled that and so We've stayed at a ton over uh, probably the last five or six mm-hmm. years. We prefer it as a family and, and friends. And it amazes me what you see and how you see. So going back to your value add, kind of sharing that, you know, as a user of Airbnb, right, I'm looking for certain types of properties at certain times in certain geographic right. locations. How do you on the management side and the hosting side, how do you guys kind of draw the line between you know, how much stuff do you put in the Airbnb, right? How do you kind of decide between couch A and couch B? Because those mm-hmm. things matter.
1: They do, they do. So I think one thing, you said it right, right? So our competition, when you are, but first of all, I think before I answer that question, one thing is important with, and this is a public data, so we can share that. When you start looking at Airbnbs, the mom and pop Airbnbs are struggling. If you haven't already, you will start to struggle. And there's a reason why I'm saying that because it ties into your question. The top percentile, the 75th percentile of the market is taken over by professional hosts, which essentially means over 10 properties, right? Because now you need to run it like a business. It is a business. It's completely different than running a long-term rental where you buy a property and you sign a 12-month lease and you disappear and, unless there's an issue. In this case, it's a constant management. You're running it like a business and you have to scale it like a business. And if you only have one, you don't have enough scale in the business to do that. But if you have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 Airbnbs, now you're able to run it like a business and scale it and make sure you can bring some efficiencies into the business, right? So that's important. And that translates into when you're making decisions on how should an Airbnb internal design look like, right? That's an art. There's no science behind it. It, You have to have an eye for in that specific market, in that specific demographic, what do they want? So for example, if you have a family that's coming into stay, if that's the demographic you're targeting, there's no board games in there. There's no kid-friendly stuff around it. And you just pick it in literally 50 miles from the city and you're hoping that families would come stay over there, you could put any couch you want. It won't work, right? So you really have to go to what is the demographic that you're attracting is going to want in that property. If you are setting it for friends, and you only have two bedroom, and you're trying to attract a group of six, seven, eight people, now you're asking friends to share beds, and they may or may not be comfortable with that. So I think it's just kind of like you have to really think from functionality perspective first, and then you have to bring out the design elements into it and the way we do it we make it very minimalistic kind of like our edges are straight there's not a lot of curves in our uh, curves in our design because they're more appealing the color pops happening we'll have red colors we'll have orange colors we'll have blue colors mix and mash together and, and then there are, you really want to have if you can afford it an interior designer design for it i'll actually give you a hack if you go to wayfair you can ask them to design the furniture for you. Especially, again, happens at scale, right? And Wafer is an example. I'm sure there are other services as well where they'll say that let us design the Airbnb for you because they have figured it out. Not everyone has an eye for design. If I have to make a design choice, I'll suck at it. My partner, great at it. So we paired together on that, on that end. So I think that's really what's more important is what's your demographic, what do they want, what kind of design works in that market If you come to Raleigh and you build a Disneyland uh, theme there, it's not going to work. It may work. Chances of that working in Orlando, very high, because that's really what people are looking for. So once you start making these connections of who you're attracting, who your client is, know your target, know your market, and make sure that your product is catering to them. Which is true. I know what I said is very cliched. It's true for anything you want to do. Any business, any long-term rentals, all happen that way. But it's very important in the Airbnb world. And here's why. Because the only way somebody is going to even look at you, look at your property, is by going to an Airbnb.com or a Werbo.com. And if the pictures don't sell it, you're not even getting a click, right? Period. Yep. And if you're not getting click, you're not getting booking. So how do you get click to make sure you make it appealing? It's marketing at that point. And if you're not, if it's not appealing, the colors are not popping. If it's just plain white walls with blue colors on it, it's not differentiated, right? So a lot of that is just tactics to make sure that you're using these subtle tones to make people click on it. And once you get clicked, the chances of your booking is pretty high.
0: Well, it's an amazing you know combination of true investment, right? Good locations, understanding geography, understanding markets. But it's amazing how really unrelated to the true real estate model. You know, school systems don't really matter. You know the things that, that, yeah, that you know right. you may look at in a normal rental are completely out of the window. And I think maybe to put a bow on kind of the Airbnb is so we can move into the multifamily. I think what's been very surprising to me, and and it's not surprising in a bad way, just surprising over the last probably five years, ten years, is that you know airbnb and verbo you know they've been around a long time and a lot of mm-hmm. people have been using them for a long time in very vacation driven destinations right beach areas ski areas right. what's so incredibly surprising to me in a positive way is the amount of airbnbs that are right in your own community right in your own backyard neighborhood houses that have been converted to airbnbs and you kind of you don't think about the other side you think well I, If I'm going to get an Airbnb, it's because I'm going, you know, to Chicago and I want to be in the city or I'm going to, you know, to go skiing and I don't want to stay in a hotel. I want a little more space. But man, oh man, if we're not seeing Airbnbs as just a regular way to travel as an alternative to a hotel in any major metro, any small rural area, they're everywhere.
1: Right. And to your earlier point about asset classes, I think this is where vacation rental is key because people do like, to your point, like Airbnbs. But the other markets, there's for corporate housing, right? Then there's, we're talking about traveling nurses, you had mentioned. And then we're talking about family travels, work from anywhere. I just live in North Carolina, but I want to work for a month out in Colorado, right? So it's a mix of, you want to combine the family, you want to combine the vacation rental, you want to combine the work, and you're now exploding that market. And COVID helped, definitely. And then for all the users, so for Airbnb, thank you. We got to still own taxes, not taxes, own the stocks. So appreciate your support. So keep using Airbnbs, don't stop. So I think it's just more on that is that you need to figure out, you need to open your eyes and also look at, maybe there's an Airbnb opportunity right in your backyard, to your point. You just haven't seen it, right? Because in your mind, it has to be in a ski destination or a beach destination. And for folks who have not looked into it, those destinations are very, very expensive and nowadays. The price points are at its peak. When I say peak, who knows, it's going to go further up or not, but it's very high. So the numbers may not make sense anymore. So now you have to start thinking like an investor. If that doesn't make sense, where else does it make sense? And there's always an opportunity. You just have to look at it differently.
0: Yep. So let's shift gears a little bit. And uh, as we come down the home stretch here, let's talk a little bit about multifamily and uh-huh. other you know, kind of assets. I know you're actively involved in the multifamily side, specifically in class B, class C type properties. Right. Just give a quick primer, right? What's a class A, B, C? And I think it's yeah. pretty universal, right? Not just multifamily, but using multifamily as the baseline.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'll give you two ends of the spectrum. Class D is war zone, drug infested. That's class D. Class A is your luxury apartments where you have all the amenities. They're very new, very modern, at least nowadays, the aesthetics now. And that's where, if we want to raise our kids, that's an ideal place where you think that if you want to live in an apartment, you want a luxury apartment. And then B and C are in the middle. That's really the best way to describe the two ends of the spectrum. And then from A to D, the amenities go down, the maintenance goes down, the features go down, and then D is really in the war zones. That's kind of how it, how to look at those.
0: So you know, when what's the value? Then you know, there's different price points naturally, right? What a class A is mm-hmm. is advertising for a two bedroom is going to be more than a class B, more than a right. class C, and and certainly more than of a course. class D. Why is the sweet spot for you? In between those two bookends, right? We understand why you wouldn't be attracted to the war zone properties. Why not go buy right. all these luxury apartments, right? Why not be an investor on so, that yeah, end?
1: You can, you definitely can. So if you look at my background, my bad as we talked about the management consulting background, we buy stuff that's broken. And here's why. Because when the stuff is broken, you can buy it at a, a little bit of a discount than something that's functioning very well. Because if something is functioning very well and somebody wants to dispose of, there's going to be multiple buyers. So when we look at B and C, we're looking at properties, not just any B and C, we're looking at properties where we need to do some work, where we need to put some more capital into the deal and say that, hey, you know what, this property was renovated 10 years ago and the rents that they're getting are comparable because the aesthetics of the property are 10 years old. So if we come in and we put $10,000, $15,000 per unit to make sure that we can level up that property. To bring it to the market price of our current, current aesthetics and what sells today, we're able to increase the rents. So it's kind of like the same example for the business. You buy a business that's not running properly, but it has good bones, and it owns good structures, and has good potential. You move it and spend some time, energy, and resources on it, and you now make it run properly the way you think it should be run, optimized. So now when you sell it, you're going to sell it at a much bigger profit because you bought at a little bit cheaper rate, right? Now, BNC has a similar thesis that you're buying BNC because they have good bones, they have good structures, they have good, the investment thesis fits the bill. And now you need to make sure you're able to add something on top of it to increase rent. Now, the market we're in right now, we've kind of slowed down the acquisition for multifamily in general right now because of the capital markets that are in flux, right? Kind of like everyone knows the interest rates are just increasing right now. Now, it can continue to increase. Our prediction is in the next 10 to 12 months, things are going to start to stabilize and then rates are going to start seeing a downward trend. Now, it will not probably get 2 to 3% again. I don't think we're expecting that. Our thesis is somewhere about 5 to 6%. It'll stabilize. And that's when you'll start seeing that the liquidity in the market is increasing again and then the market's rebounding for in the favor of multifamily. Right now, most people, if they don't need to sell it, they're not selling it, right? in the distressed assets which essentially means where people can't hold on to the asset anymore the buyers are dime a dozen for those assets because everyone wants to jump on that so the prices are going up again the bidding is started again for those kind of assets right and we don't want to be in a bidding game we always want to make sure that we're paying the price that we believe is fair that we can make sure we can work so that's really where why bnc but if somebody were to start today i would say that be careful because a could also work right now because the way the apartments are valued, right now, A, B, and C, the price points, there's not a whole lot of difference in price points. So you need to be careful. And when you buy, is the value add going to give you enough bump to make sure you're going to want to go B and C and do the extra work? Or does A also make sense in these markets? And it's all, there's a general thesis and then there's a thesis that works in an economic time. So you have to make sure you have more arching thesis. Multifamily is still pretty strong and we are still actively looking for deals and looking for partners to partner with but we're looking at a right now more than b and c because we, we believe the amount of work that we need to put into b and c it may not be worth at the price point we buy
0: you know it's an interesting way to look at it and you know I, I think for a lot of investors and a lot of people you kind of tend to think that if it's a b it's priced like a b and if it's a c it's priced like a c and i think to your point You know, markets fluctuate, and and I don't think anyone would suggest that we're not in a cycle. And for those listening that have never been through a cycle, you know, there is a cycle in every single asset class every so often. And sometimes it's every 50 or 7, 10, 12, 15. Nobody has, you know, a guidebook to it. But one thing that is certain is that every single asset will go through a cycle. I'm reminded of a gentleman I met years and years ago. And he said to me, he said, just remember one thing. He said, investing asset classes, it's like blowing bubble gum with your buddies, right? When you were kids, he said, everybody had a, you know, the ability to blow their bubble gum into a different bubble. He said, but there was one thing that, that happened amongst the entire circle of your friends. And what is that? and it he all, said you know it, it all popped it popped and he took it yeah. a, a step further to say some of them pop and it's all over your face right some of them just slowly lose air some of them they don't blow up but they just don't get much bigger and you know his point yeah. that he took out of that is that's how asset classes work and if you blow you know the bubble too big too fast then be prepared for it to pop if you're you know aware Correct. of where that is you know, then you can kind of manage that process. And so it's kind of an interesting uh, Jason, I love, analogy. I love
1: that analogy. I'm, I'm actually going to steal that <laughs> because I think it's a very good visual that people can relate to because everyone has blown a bubble, right? On uh, eating the bubble gum so that everyone has at least some experience of it and hopefully have the ability to do that.
0: Well, we you know our job as investors is to translate that to where we think the market is, and you know you can't be doom and gloom and assume every bubble is going to burst in your face, and you also can't be so Pollyannish right. that you assume that the bubble will never burst, and so that's what cycles are, right? And so every investor right. today right. should be looking at every asset class, and if if you're looking at Airbnb, it will cycle, right? Some of the mom and pops are not It'll seeing cycle. the same returns, yeah, and. Um, on the multifamily side, you know, you're seeing properties that really, you know, are, they're good quality properties, but price point wise, you know, they're priced like an A when they're right. a C. So you got to navigate yeah. this cycle that we're in as best as you can. So for what it's
1: that's a good part. cycle. I think the cycles are actually very good because if the cycles won't happen, there's only one direction the price can go up, right? So cycles are price correction. What do they call the wheat separated from the chaff? right? It's kind of like all the crap's out. And now only the operators that are high class are going to remain because when the times are good, everyone's a great investor. It's when the times are tougher, the real investor shows up. Like kind of like, okay, I need to do this way. And this is why I think it It works. So last two, five, 10 years have been good times. So Everyone was a great investor. A monkey could have been a great investor. Like I heard somebody saying that Just buy an apartment and just hold on to it. All your mistakes will be forgiven because of time. No, it won't. It won't. Look at what's happening right now. So I think to your point, cycles are good. Cycles are going to happen. We can't fight the cycle. We have to figure out how how to make use of cycles.
0: Well, I think it's a good way to wrap this bit up is Warren Buffett. Uh, he's got so many great quotes. If, if you don't go and read Warren Buffett quotes, I, I can't encourage you enough to do so. But yeah. you know, he says, you never know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. And you Correct, know, really. all boats are rising in a rising tide and, and cycles really, actually, most people get wealthier in economic cycles. That's usually where the largest right. amounts of wealth are made. It's not the run up because most of the people that ride the wave up write it down and so it's finding that equilibrium. So, anyways, let's bring the show out to a close here. I appreciate yeah. um socket you being here so much and love your background, love the Airbnb tie back, but love the way you approach the market. You know, one of the things that we didn't talk about that I want to kind of close with is, you know, we mentioned at the beginning, you know, your journey is really been a unique one, right? Getting laid off and finding new work and then walking away from a team job for many, but it is to build community and it's to build purpose and it's to build why. So, you know, not only are you an author, a philanthropist and all these other things, an investor, but you also build communities. And so Migrate to Wealth is continuing to build communities. You guys have a virtual summit coming up at the end of October, I think the 24th through the 27th, if that's right.
1: 27th. Correct.
0: And a virtual event. Anyone can join free to join. So you,
1: that is correct too. It is free.
0: You've eliminated really every barrier for people to say no.
1: Yeah, you don't have to travel anywhere. You can log on to your computer. You don't have you can eat your food, spend time with your family, and attend the event for free, literally for free. I think one could ask, one could ask the question is why is it for free? I think the reason for free is because I was trying to see, we've had pretty good success with our podcast, Migrate to Wealth. I invite your listeners to go there, uh, migrate to wealth.com. What we're trying to figure out is how can we add more value in a very compressed manner? And we're literally taking the concept of migrate to wealth, which is the five dimensions we talked about, your mind, your body, your relationships, your money, and your impact. These five dimensions, we're essentially bringing 40 plus speakers. There's going to be a combination of pre-recorded seminars versus live seminars. What would have taken you five months? Because it's eight episodes a month times 540. Now you're learning that in four days and in a much more impactful manner because everything is well thought out. The stories are laid out. It's like listening to an Apple playlist where each song is to your liking and there's a reason why the next song is, right? You're being a DJ on that. So we're building on every single day and day four is really going to be, we were reshaping the way you think about money and how to think about everything else. And then day four is all about how do you make money, right? So we're bringing... Investors, we're bringing Jason. Your team's coming on, and we're basically trying to figure out: okay, how do you crack this code of making passive investments? Ideally for passive investors, folks who don't have time, but also for active investors because they may want to learn about an asset class that doesn't work. So we go back to, you know, when the cycle's shifting, you want to look at other asset classes. But which asset classes? If you're just sitting at home working nine to five, you won't know which asset classes. So we're bringing the asset classes to you in this summit, saying that here are 10, 15 asset classes. And this is how professionals evaluate it. Go deeper into it, go talk to them, come to us and whoever. We can go deeper into all of those things, but it's a good exposure for you to have a very compressed, compressed learning timelines to make sure you can take advantage of the cycles.
0: Well, we're excited to, uh, to be a participant there as well. And we'll put all the information for the summit in the show notes. So, you know, make sure that you click through there and get to the Migrate to Wealth virtual summit. That's going to be a great event. Uh, As we say often, education is key. There's no excuse to be ignorant anymore. So especially when it's free and it's online, all the barriers are knocked down for you. So thank you, Socket, for putting that together and, and continuing to be a beacon of education on the marketplace. Thank you for sharing. We're going to come to a close as we close every show. It's the Learn Before You Burn. This is the opportunity for you to share a painful experience and lesson that you learned the hard way with our listeners that hopefully will help them learn the lesson without the painful experience. So what do you got for us, Socket?
1: Definitely. I think it was really my first deal, which is I literally crashed and burned. I'm super smart. I'm like, I can do my first deal myself. I don't need anybody else. I ended up, looking at a deal which was 252-unit apartment complex spread across five buildings. So I was basically buying a five-unit portfolio totaling to 262 apartments. Stupidest mistake I've ever done. But the best mistake I've ever done, just like anything else in my life, I worked at it for five months. I got to the end of it. And then the Fenny made towards the end, reduced our loan by 2.5. We had all the capital raised. Everything was working. And of course, you know, my ego is pretty high at that point. Look, I told you I could do it. I did it. And then literally two weeks before our closing, Fannie Mae said that we can't give you the loan at the terms you wanted. We're going to knock the loan by $2.5 million. And now within two weeks, this is the first deal of, for first deal for me and my partners. I'm like, we can't raise the capital. $2.5 million, the term's not going to make sense. And everything is not going to work out the way we want to work out. We had to walk away from that deal. And dude, we lost a ton of money, our money, Because one thing I knew that I can't have investors take the fall for the decisions we made. So we took the fall for it. We lost over $365,000 of my own money. Super expensive mistake, but the best mistake I ever made. Thankfully, we had the way to sustain that loss because if we didn't, I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably have to depend on investors and then return the investor capital. But what it taught me was that, A, you can't be too confident because things are going to come out of woodwork where you didn't expect it. B, you need to have good support system around you to make sure that things, to catch things that you may have missed. And B, C, you have to have people that are more experienced than you. You could be very smart, but in your smartness and in your egocentricity, centricity, you may miss out things, which are very common to an investor who is, who is aware of the environment. So that was really the learning to so now I have mentors for everything in my life, and I don't make a decision without consulting my mentors. Now, it doesn't mean I listen to them all the time, but I want to hear their opinion, and then I make the decision. So that was a beautiful mistake, most expensive college degree I ever paid for, more than my MBA at Columbia, and I'm glad that I have a supporting wife who didn't kill me after we lost that much money and still asked me, said recommended, encouraged me to continue going.
0: That is certainly a great learn before you burn. Most investors will tell you winning big or hitting big on your first deal is actually a curse because you're gonna stub your toe. And so you got that out of the way at the beginning. You learned a lot of tough lessons.
1: That's what it seems like from the
0: get-go. Well, Socket, we're so grateful to have you on the show. Looking forward to the virtual summit. Can't wait to be part of that. If you guys want to get a hold of Socket or his team, all of his information will be in the show notes. For those of you that are new listeners to the show, thanks for being here. Uh, We certainly hope you hit the like, share and subscribe button and uh, and continue to be part of our community as we continue to push forward uh, the educational content, helping you not only understand alternative asset classes and investment opportunities that are out there, but always do it in the most tax efficient manner so you can keep more of what you earn. So that is the end of the show today. Socket, thanks again for being
1: here. Thank you for having me, Jason. I really appreciate it. All
0: right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening. We hope the information within this podcast has given you the tools that you need to find your way to financial independence. We would love to partner with you on this journey. Text ALTS, that's A-L-T-S, to 407-708-1853 to learn more about how to get started today. Don't forget to follow us to make sure you don't miss a second of content, and we'll see you next week.